Welcome back to Reading for a Change, a podcast from Moody Publishers, where we take an inside look at the books transforming our lives and shaping the world. My name is Drew Dick. I am an editor and author and also host of this podcast. And I just want to jump right in because I am really excited about our guest for today. I am honored to have best-selling author Lee Strobel joining me. Lee is the uh, is a former atheist turned Christian. He also worked as a journalist uh, at the Chicago Tribune for 14 years, and he's the author of more than 20 books, including The Case for Christ, which has sold millions of copies uh, and was made into a movie a few years ago. We'll talk about that. Uh, and uh, most recently, The Case for Miracles. He's also the professor of Christian thought at Baptist uh, Houston Baptist University. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Drew. Great to be with you, man. Oh, man, I'm so excited about this. You know, you've uh, written a lot of books, accomplished a lot of things, but I think your proudest role is being my Twitter friend. Is that correct? Absolutely. I have fun on Twitter. I love Twitter. Twitter fits my journalism background because it's like writing a headline. Right. You're right. That short form, right? Even though it, it went from like 140 characters to 280. But yeah, still that challenge of of condensing what you have to say yeah. <laughs> into a few lines. Exactly. I, I tweet about a dozen times a day. I really enjoy I've met some great people on Twitter. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Right. And I was, um, we, I remember when you first got on, uh, this was like a few years back and I welcomed you to Twitter because I'd been on for a few years already. And I said, welcome my friend Lee. He's an aspiring writer. Uh, <laughs> he needs some encouragement. <laughs> and I just loved it because you were such a good sport about it. And, and you put up with my dumb comments. And uh, I, another thing that I love how you use this medium, something that you do occasionally um, is you'll be traveling back before of course, yeah. this whole pandemic, uh, you'd be in the airport and you'll be like, hey, I'm at gate 28. If anyone wants to join me to grab a milkshake, to talk about Jesus, I'd love to meet you here. Um, I just think that's awesome. I love your openness, your willingness to mix it up with strangers. And of course, talk about Jesus. Well, thanks. I've met some wonderful people that way. Have you? Yeah, I was curious. I know I've seen a lot of people kind of taking you up on it. What's that been like? It's been great. I remember I was in one airport and I said, hey, I'm at gate such and such. If you want to come by, I'll buy you breakfast. And about 10 seconds went by and I felt a tap on my shoulder. And it was a guy who had gotten the tweet and, and I bought him breakfast and awesome. uh, we had a great time together. That's amazing. I love I love your willingness to do that. My first question for you, Lee, since we're still, you know, in this will probably uh, go up maybe in a, just over a week. But I think by then we'll still be uh, under quarantine or yeah. shelter in place, whatever you want to call it. How are you holding up during this time? What does your life look like right now? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Uh, Leslie and I are hunkered down in our house in Houston, Texas. And um, the, the frustrating thing is our daughter and her husband and our two oldest grandchildren live basically just around the corner. But of course, um, we can't interact with them like we normally would. I haven't been able to hug my grandkids in a while. And oh, yeah. we uh, talk to them through the window or uh, from a distance. And so that's frustrating. But um, but we're doing pretty well. Um, I'm also doing some preaching to an empty auditorium at Woodlands Church and uh, actually doing a free uh, series right now on how to share Jesus and, and broadcasting it every Monday night to people who are interested. So keeping awesome. very busy. I, I don't think I've ever been busier. Um, right. It's just, I don't understand people who say, I'm so bored. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I wish I were bored. 
<laughs> right. When you're an author and a, a speaker and preacher, I guess you can still do that thanks to uh, these new technologies from your yeah. home. So, okay. hey. Exactly. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, videotaping of uh, presentations and talks and things like that. And then our church is doing, as most churches are, uh, broadcasting on the web. Uh, our services and and had a huge response. Uh, we've we've really seen more and more people open to the gospel this uh, season. That's incredible. That leads into my next question, uh, and that is crises like the one we're in right now uh, force people to think about questions maybe they don't think about when they're just kind of going about their everyday lives and everything's smooth. Uh, things like their mortality, uh, God, where they're going to spend eternity. Uh, so in a way, uh, things like this provide opportunities for Christians to share their faith with their non-Christian friends. Uh, but how can we make the most of these opportunities without coming off like we're trying to capitalize or take advantage of the crisis? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think a lot of it depends on what's motivating us to reach out. Hmm. Um, you know, Christians are motivated by a lot of things and not all of them are positive uh, in terms of sharing their faith. You know, they may feel guilty uh, if they don't, uh, or they may feel fearful that their Christian friends will think less of them if they're not taking advantage of opportunities to engage with people in spiritual conversation. So there's a lot of negative kind of uh, motivators. But, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. Mm. And if that's our motivation, that that uh, it is the love of Christ for people, for us, that is motivating us, then then we're more likely, we're more likely to be natural in the way we reach out. We're more likely to be uh, authentic. We're more likely to empathize. Um, we're more likely to have a, a real dialogue rather than just download a sermon into people. Mm. Um so, and we're more likely to have a no strings attached friendship where we're not your friend if and only when you come to faith in Christ. You know, I'm going to be your friend regardless of what spiritual decisions you make. And and uh, that frees us up uh, to have a natural relationship and natural friendship. So I think it's a lot about, you know, what what is the motivation? Why are we reaching out? Um, and, and if it's out of love, I think things tend to fall into place pretty naturally. I love that uh, because it's so true. You don't think of that often, but the motivation behind yeah. why you're doing this, I think I've been there though, where I'm like, okay, I should do this out of guilt or fear or, <laughs> you know, some obligation, but you're right. It comes through when you're doing it out of motivation for genuine love and friendship uh, with that other person. They can sense that, can't they? Absolutely. In fact, one of the worst experiences you can have is to have lunch with a bunch of evangelists. <laughs> um, because they're all trying to impress each other on how they're going to reach out to the serving staff and to the cooks and to the manager of the restaurant. And, and it, it really gets obnoxious sometimes. And you feel like this is not motivated by love. This is like this is a competition. Uh, how many how many notches can I get in my Bible? Um, right. And so <laughs> it's really a distressing experience to, to have lunch with a bunch of evangelists. Uh, but yeah, when we're motivated by, you know, I, I you know, I love these people because God loves these people. And and um, uh, all of a sudden it becomes not a, a, a sense of uh, I'm going to talk down to them, but I'm going to I'm going to empathize with them. I'm going to connect with them on a genuine level. And, uh, you know, we can affirm things that they have in their worldview 
that uh, are not Christian, we could say, yeah, I, yeah I, that's great. And then bring in a gentle Christian witness in terms of what the gospel says. Hmm. That's great. Um, so this pandemic has raised in a new way for a lot of people the, the question of the problem of suffering. Yeah. And so when someone asks you, Lee, why would God allow this pandemic? What's your response? Well, let me tell you about a lesson I've learned through the years, uh, the hard way. Um, one of the ways I would typically get into a conversation with someone who isn't a Christian is by asking him the question, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask? Him? Hmm. Now, if you ask that, you know, this is before the pandemic, 80% will have some permutation of the why does God allow suffering question. And probably now with the coronavirus pandemic, it's probably going to be even 90% of people. Right. That's going to be their question. Why does God allow suffering? And I used to say, oh, well, let me give you a five-point sermon on why God allows suffering. <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. What I do now is if they say to me, yeah, I'll tell you what I'd ask God. I'd ask God, uh, why do you allow pain and suffering in the world? And my response is, wow, of all the possible questions in the universe, why would you ask that one? Hmm. Now we're getting down to the motivation of why they're asking. We get down to the emotional side. They may say something like, because um, I lost a brother uh, in this pandemic, hmm. and I want to know where was God in the middle of that? Or... Uh, I've lost my job or, or my business is, is about to go bankrupt uh, in the middle of this. Where's God in the, in the midst of that? Or I'm hunkered down in my house and I'm full of fear and trepidation and, and, and it's just causing wreaking havoc with my health. Um, where's God in the middle of that? Now then I, I can connect on a human level, on a personal level, on a relational level that's when you realize that most people who ask this question are not looking for a five-point theological answer on why God allows pain and suffering. They're looking for someone to be Jesus to them. Hmm. They're looking for someone to figuratively, uh, in this day of isolation, put their arm around their shoulder and hug them and, hmm. and say, oh man, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. Tell me about it. And it's on that personal level that I think we need to connect these days. Um, uh, and I found that people are much more, more willing to um, be honest about what's driving their concern over this issue. Most people don't ask this question purely out of academic curiosity. There's something else driving it. There's something in their life that's driving it. And, and I want to get at that level and connect on, on that level. Um, you know, Jesus is not just the answer to a pain and suffering. He is the answerer. Uh, mm. You know, God didn't just send a propositional statement into the world to deal with pain and suffering. He sent Jesus who personally suffered. And, and uh, you know, he's not you know, like Buddha that uh, you look at a statue and you've got this slight smile on the lips of Buddha as he stares out blankly at people. You know, you have someone who entered into our world and suffered more than we ever will um, and can connect with us on that personal level. So I, that's kind of been my approach. Um, now, that's not to say we don't have good answers for the pain and suffering question. I think we do uh, as Christians, um, you know, even though, you know, the Bible says 
we see through a glass darkly. We don't have every answer, but we do have some clues. For instance, you know, God is not the creator of evil and, and, and suffering. Um, that, that God has existed for eternity in the Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit in a perfect relationship of love. And when God made the decision to create humankind, he wanted us to be able to experience this greatest value in the universe, which is the value of love to do that. He had to give us free will because love is always a choice to love or not to love. If you're forced to love someone, that's not love. That's your robot <laughs> at that point. So he gave us free will. Well, what did we do with that free will? Well, from the beginning, we've turned our back on God. We've sinned. We've, and, and that's opened up the world to moral evil as well as to natural evil, things like earthquakes and, and tornadoes and, and even um, pandemics. Um, so it, the first point is God is not the source. He's not the author of, of evil. Um, but we live in a world that um, is tainted by evil at every level and, and uh, suffering results. And what I love about Jesus, I love a lot about Jesus, but, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I love the most about Jesus is he's honest. Huh. You know, there's a lot of uh, spiritual leaders through history who have not been honest. They've said suffering is Maya. It's, um, it's an illusion. Uh, well, the heck. It's not an illusion. You know, I lost my brother. He died at the beginning of this pandemic of the flu. Oh, and, right. um, um, you know, I, it wasn't uh, the Cronid 19 that killed him, but the regular flu that killed him um, at the beginning of March. Um, so that's not an illusion. The suffering we're going through as a family because we can't even have a funeral for my brother. Um, uh, that's not Maya. That's real. And, and Jesus said, and it's one of my favorite verses, John 16, 33. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have suffering, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And what I love about that, he's being honest. He's saying, look, you live in a sin-stained world. This is not the world as God intended it to be. It is a world tainted by uh, moral sin and, and natural uh, results of that in the, in the world. Um, but what I love about that is in that same verse, he mentions the two very things we need the most when we're suffering, especially at this time of the pandemic. We need peace for the present and we need courage for the future. Hmm. And those are the two very things that he offers. So um, I appreciate that, that, that uh, you know, he didn't whitewash things. And um, but he's honest about the predicament that we find ourselves in. Amen. I like that. Yeah. One of Jesus's uh, favorite expressions was, well, it's variously translated, but it can be verily, verily, or I tell you the truth, right? Yeah. He did. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Uh, and he man, did. That, right. that is so wise too, especially your point about not getting the cart before the horse. When people ask a question about pain and suffering and where God is in the midst of it, they're often revealing uh, something about their own life and, and something that's touched them too. So my yeah, tendency in the past has been... Yeah, I've, I've kind of jumped right to the apologetics or, okay, let's try to solve this philosophical riddle when there's something more personal going on and you have to address that first. Then you can perhaps move on to the, the more philosophical points uh, of answering their question, but it's often a very personal thing. I think that's so wise. I've seen a lot of Christians, as I'm sure you have because you're online, uh, mm -hmm. responding to this pandemic in ways that are less than helpful. Let's just say that. 
What are some landmines that you believe that Christians should avoid when it comes to discussing this? Well, um, we shouldn't promise on God's behalf things that God never promised. Oh, what do you mean Uh, by that? You know, and so (laughs) that's probably good. Yeah. Yeah. Are saying, um, oh, you know, if if you follow Christ, uh, he'll protect you from this. Right. uh, You know, that's just, he never said that. He said, I'll give you a peace for the present and courage for the future. Um, he said, I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you. I'll walk through it. And, and some of the promises that God makes are not for everybody. Um, hmm. You know, one of the verses we throw around like it's a cliche, but it's from the word of God. And it's true is Romans eight twenty eight that God can cause things to work together for good for those that love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. That's not for everybody. That's reserved for people who are genuine followers of Christ. And we ought not to try to broaden that to everyone's situation. Um, So I think we we ought to let God speak for himself and, and not try to inject what we maybe wish he had said or wish he had promised. Um, You know, this idea that uh, somehow, um, if we're devout in our uh, devotion to Jesus, uh, we'll be protected from any illness. Um, mm. That's not scriptural. Um, God will, if we follow him, cause good to emerge. It may not be in this world, uh, maybe in the world to come. Um, and, and will he heal everybody? You're darn right. He will heal everybody. But for many of us, it's going to be when we transition into the next world and we'll be mm. healed of all pain and all sorrow and Uh, be in a place of no tears for eternity. So um, we just have to be careful that we don't overpromise, that we we, uh, we're accurate and faithful in the way we convey what God is telling us in the midst of these uh, these times. Yeah, that's good. I want to talk a little bit about the um, the movie that was made based on your best-selling book, The Case for yeah. Christ. Uh, and don't tell anyone I said this, but most Christian movies aren't that great. They're getting better, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but man, I grew up like movies in the, uh, the 80s and 90s uh, uh, that were Christian uh, weren't great. But this one is excellent. I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. Yeah. My wife and I watched it. It was like kind of our date night movie. And and it was great. It was just well, it wasn't overly preachy, um, uh, but yet the message came through. It was well done. Um, so yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, making a movie yeah. with a clear Christian message that's also just a great movie. Well, you know, I can't take credit uh, for a lot of it because uh, Pure Flix, that was the studio that did it. Um, Brian Bird, who was the screenwriter, um, were awesome, and we had a great collaboration. Um, one of the things that y- you don't understand until you do this yourself is that when you kind of give your life story away to a movie studio for a film, you don't have control. Huh. Um, and, the, and you think about it, it's logical because they go out and they raise millions of dollars to make the movie. And if I have control at the end to say, nah, I don't like it. Um, now all that money's gone and investors have been injured. So you don't have control. Um, but I put into the contract that I would be able to choose the screenwriter. Oh, okay. and, uh, and so I chose someone who's written 17 movies and is a good friend of mine who I knew would protect our story. And that's Brian Bird. And he's awesome. And we collaborated quite extensively. Uh, it's not to say that they're, you know, you take a, a two year experience of a person's life and shrink it down to a 90 minute film. There's going to be some changes. There's going to be some time shifting. There's going to be some composite characters. That's movie making. 
but the essential story is quite accurate. And um, there are scenes that it just sends chills through me because they're exactly what happened. <laughs> right. um, so I think part of the key is having a godly group of people that are intent on um, um, telling the story and in telling it honestly and in um, not shrinking away from things that may make us look bad. I mean, there's uh, scenes in the movie that don't make me look particularly right. I had one friend who watched the movie, and afterwards he said to me, man, I didn't realize what a jerk you were. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But that's what it takes to convey the gospel uh, in a way that people can relate to, then I'm more than willing to uh, be honest about myself because I, I was a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> See, if someone made a movie about my life, and I'm sure it's going to happen any day now, um, I just want an actor who's really good looking to play me. Yeah, that's the. <laughs> I thought they were going to get Jack Black to play me. That was. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, what's it like being a movie star? Well, joking, kind of, but talk about the ministry because I've seen it. I've seen it yeah. from people making comments online. Tell me about what it's like to see the ministry that not just the book has had, but now that the movie has had as well. It's it's been so fulfilling and so awesome. Um, there was a, a small church in New Zealand that rented a movie theater, showed the movie, and 22 people came to faith that night. Awesome. Um, It's gone all over the planet. Uh, It was showing in France, in Grenoble, France, which is a very post-Christian place, um, for like nine weeks in the movie theater. We weren't promoting it. We didn't have any money to promote it. It was just word of mouth that people are hungry for the gospel. Um, The funniest thing is uh, a couple of months ago, I was in Des Moines, Iowa at a conference and uh, I met a pastor there and he said to me, you know, I I use your movie, The Case for Christ, um, as my outreach tool personally. I said, what Mm. do you mean? He said, well, when I meet someone who's not a Christian, I invite him over to my house and uh, we watch the movie together. And I said, oh, that's awesome. What's the response been? He said, 37 people have come to faith. Oh, wow. 37 people. I was, I was just, that is awesome. And one of the key, cool things about it is um, for about three years now, the movie's been free on Netflix. So during this pandemic, it's a great outreach for Christians to tell their non-Christian friends, hey, um, I was just listening to a guy the other day and he was like you. He was a skeptic. He was an atheist. But um, things changed his mind and, and, uh, they actually made a movie about it. And, and, and it's got, you know, Academy Award winners and Academy Award nominees in it. It's really a good movie. It's free on Netflix. So if you have Netflix <laughs> and you're bored during this pandemic, why don't you watch it? And we've had a lot of people willing to do that. And, uh, so we're thrilled. We, you know, a lot of people won't read these days. They won't read a 300 page book, right. but they'll watch a 90 minute movie. And, uh, that's been our hope all along that God would use it to bring people to faith. Yeah, just another medium. And you're absolutely right. I mean, as much as it pains me to admit that because I'm a word nerd and editor and author, right? And even yeah. this podcast is reading for a change. We're trying to convince people to read more. Um, and yet, of course, uh, the the visual medium of a movie is going to probably reach more folks and different yeah. folks. And there's yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, are different. You're right. You're going to reach a lot of young people. Cinema is their their language, of, of the younger generations, they they are very much into film, and yeah. um, so let's seize that opportunity as Christians and make some great movies that uh, teach some eternal truths. 
Amen. Exactly. That's great. So I don't know if you can divulge this or not, but what are you working on these days? Wow. My big project that's really kept me busy is we've launched the uh, Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. And so I'm leading a team of about 30 PhDs that are developing 131 fully online, fully accredited courses in how to share your faith naturally and effectively and how to defend Christianity as being true. And uh, it's been a great experience. We we now have um, the applications available for people. We have an undergraduate degree, a bachelor's degree, or a master's degree, or people can just take courses for their own growth spiritually. And uh, so if people go to ccu.edu slash Strobel Center, uh, all one word, Strobel Center, um, they can get more information. If you use the promo code Strobel, you, you can apply for free. And uh, so we're thrilled about that. Right. We really want to see uh, a new generation of people who are um, uh, trained to naturally and effectively uh, be salt and light in this generation. And, and we really believe that every church needs uh, an evangelism point leader, whether it's full time, part time or volunteer who works hand in glove with the senior pastor to um, to head up the outreach efforts of the local church. And we want to train those people and certify them uh, so that they may make them available to churches to fill that role. Oh, man, I can't think of a more important mission, uh, especially yeah. right now. That's that's cool. Can you say just for listeners again, repeat that URL? Yes, it's uh, ccu.edu slash Strobel Center, S-T-R-O-B-E-L Center, all one word. And uh, all the information is there. And uh, we're uh, rolling out our first 15 courses this fall, and we're on schedule to ultimately have 131 courses, which blows my mind. Wow. Uh, But things like, you know, the pain and suffering issue, a a whole course on how do you deal with that? Uh, A whole course on science and faith. How does how do the discoveries over the last 50 years in cosmology and physics and biochemistry and genetics and human consciousness point toward the existence of a God that looks uh, like the God of the Bible? Uh, how can we trust the Gospels? I mean, all these important things we need to know in this increasingly skeptical and even hostile um, world that we live in spiritually. Yes. Oh, I love it. So, yeah, if you're listening to this and you uh, uh, have kind of been curious about wanting to learn more about apologetics, how to defend the faith. Um, it sounds like there are a lot of great options there. I encourage you to check it out. Um, Lee, we have a section this season where we talk about the writing life. Mm. Um, I, I saw uh, something that you shared a while back uh, where you talked about early in your career when you were a journalist. Uh, well, you're still a journalist, but you were a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. I think it was one of your editors said something to the effect of, Lee, you're not a great writer, but you're a clear writer. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like an insult. Uh, And you, and you are a great writer, but you took it as a compliment. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can talk about the value of clarity when it comes to writing. Oh man. I remember that day explicitly. I'd written a front page feature story for the Chicago Tribune and the copy editor got up on the other side of the news, which is a huge cavernous newsroom, he got up and he walked all the way across the newsroom and he came over to my cubicle and he looked at me and he said, Lee, you're not the greatest writer in the world, but doggone it, you're a clear writer. <laughs> and, and I took that as a badge of honor and he meant it as a compliment because I'm not, 
I don't write literature. <laughs> I, I'm a journalist, you know? Yeah. And I once saw a definition of good writing, and uh, I'll, I'll kind of butcher it, uh, um, but the idea will be there. And the idea is good writing has the fewest snags for the reader. Hmm. A, a snag good. is where the reader is reading and all of a sudden says, no, wh what does this mean? Or wh what are they referring to? Or or even a good snag where they say, oh, that was awesome the way they said that. That's a snag. That yeah. holds up the reader in, in their journey toward what you've written. And good writing eliminates those snags so that it's clear and that people can read it and comprehend exactly what you're communicating um, uh, and, and that's, that's what I do. My daughter, in contrast, is a novelist and she's had half a dozen novels published. She's a great writer. She writes literature. Um, she, she, she convinced me, dad, you ought to write a novel. So I did several years ago. I wrote a novel that nobody read. It bombed big time. It was, Lee, that's not true. I read it and I actually liked it. Oh okay, my maybe, God. maybe that's a minority position, but I'm, I'm standing firm. It was good. You're the one that bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the one copy it's sold. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't pretend to be, um, you know, when people call me a writer. Honestly, I don't relate to that because I don't see myself as a Steinbeck or a, a Clancy or any, anybody. I, I'm a journalist and huh. the, the, the goal of a journalist should be clear communication. And that's my goal. Um, and if I do that, then I'm happy. That's great. Yeah, because I think with, with with novice writers, often there's this desire to flex your verbal muscles to, yeah. you know, uh, and even when, like you said, it's it might maybe is a good distraction where you kind of but you pull the reader yeah. out for a second and go, wow, that was fancy or that was a big word. Yeah. Uh, but it's a disservice. You're absolutely right, because yeah. you want to get out of the way and, and make the message kind of the primary thing. And I think as Christian writers, especially that's important because you're there. You're, you're not there to show off or make yourself look good. You're there to serve um, readers and to, um, you know, give them a clearer view of God or whatever uh, message you're trying to convey. That so, I like the great. way you put that, Drew. You, you, you said we're there to serve the reader. Hmm. And I don't think that uh, some writers see themselves that way. They see themselves, you know, as, you know, I'm going to show off my vocabulary or <laughs> my my great uh, literary illusions or whatever. Um, we're there to serve the reader. And how can we do that? And, you know, so one of my favorite functions as a writer, one of the things I'd love to do the most is to edit my own writing. I love to ruthlessly go through and eliminate unnecessary words and to eliminate ambiguity and to sharpen it and try to be as precise as I can, use the right word and so forth. Um, I enjoy that process. Um, I would rather do that, sit in a room by myself and go over, you know, before I turn in a chapter of a book, I've probably combed through that chapter, golly, 20 times at wow. least, at least. Uh, and and people may hear that and go, well, you didn't do a very good job. But, um, you know, at least I'm trying. I, I love combing back through and, and eliminating one final word or, sh or, or using a word that it communicates more succinctly what I'm trying to say. I love that process. Um, Man, that's it, awesome. It, it makes me weird, I suppose. It does make you weird. That, I'm not going to sugarcoat that for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Most people go, oh, I've written this thing. I never want to see it again. Right. That's the difference between kind of okay writing and great writing, in my opinion, is that commitment to kind of go back over, edit yourself, 
um, uh, you know, like they say, good writing is rewriting. And that yeah. is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, last section that we have uh, during this uh, season of the podcast is what we're calling guilty pleasures. <laughs> what guilty pleasure, and it can really be anything, has helped you get through this challenging time? Um, my guiltiest pleasure is I went on the internet and I went to Giordano's Pizza <laughs> yes. in Chicago, where I grew up, and um, I ordered two frozen pizzas delivered in dry ice to my house in Houston. And I devoured those deep dish <laughs> Chicago pizzas. And it reminded me that Chicago pizza, deep dish pizza from Chicago, is not just, okay, it's deep, it's, it's thick. No, no, no. There is a flavor to a Giordano's pizza that you don't get in a New York pizza or you don't get in a, a Texas pizza. It, it's unique and it's fabulous. And so we got the first one and Leslie uh, put it in the oven, heated it up. And we um, we cut out one big piece and, and sent it over to my daughter because she's a, a fan of Chicago pizza. And then we savored the rest of it. And then a couple of days later, we made the second one and it was every bit as good. Oh. And guess what? Today, right after this podcast, there's <laughs> one slice left, one slice. And today is my day to eat that one last slice. Well, that doesn't seem very Christian to take the last slice, Lee, but I'll, <laughs> I'll let it go. And, you know, I saw you and your friend and co-author, Mark Middleberg, yeah. talking about this online. I got so hungry that <laughs> I ordered some deep dish. I didn't even realize you could do that because yeah. I'm out here in the Pacific Northwest. It is yeah. arriving today. Awesome. And so just this conversation has, has gotten me all hungry for it, and I'll be ready when it comes in. Well, it's going <laughs> to shock you because you'd think, oh, it can't be that good if they're shipping it all this way. It's in dry ice. No. No, it, it, it is really, it is 95% as good as getting it fresh in, in Giordano's right there in Okay, Chicago. that's awesome because that's what my worry was. I'm like, okay, is this yeah. going to be kind of a soggy pie by the no, time it gets no, here? No. <laughs> it's, wonder, it's, it's wonderful. I got to do it again. The other guilty oh, pleasure, I'll mention one last yeah, thing. Uh, yeah, please. In my mind. But you mentioned Mark Middleberg. His wife, Heidi, makes the world's best fudge. Ooh. And um, I've been on a diet. Doesn't sound like it, but I've lost twenty pounds since the uh, congrats. Trying, I'm trying to lose weight, and so I'm trying to it. gain it back too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do it sparingly. But she sent me a um, box of her fudge, and it was awesome. I remember when I was working at a church in Chicago, she sent over to me uh, two boxes of fudge, and they were two layers. On each in each box, and she said, "One box is for you. One box is for our friend Russ. Could you deliver it to him?" So, of course, I ate my box right there, <laughs> and, and then I thought, "You know what? Russ is not going to be aware. There's two layers to this." Um, <laughs> so, so I ate smart. I ate the top layer, and. Uh, <laughs> And just said, hey, Russ, here's some fudge that Heidi made for you. And He's he done the wiser. wiser. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. I just got a, a note from our uh, producer, Aaron, here. He said, Giordano's nothing else comes close. So Yes, good that for him. Deep yeah. dish pizza and fudge, man, Lee. That's oh. a, that's a good way to get through this this oh. pandemic. I love it. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> oh man, our time's flown by. This has been absolutely incredible. I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Oh, I want to me. 
Oh yeah, no, this Peter, is. I love you. Sure. I love what you do. I love your. Everybody ought to follow you on Twitter. You, you're a very creative tweeter, and <laughs> I tweet you a lot because uh, I love your sense of humor and your spiritual insights. And um, I, I appreciate, as, as we Texans say, I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Uh, I will warn people, though, if you follow me on Twitter, there are a lot of dumb dad jokes. So you got to put yes. up with those. Uh, <laughs> um, if you want to learn more listeners about Lee, visit his website, leestrobel.com. You can read more about his life and his ministry. And of course, please order his books. They're fantastic if you haven't read them already. Um, so our theme for this season uh, is press on. It comes from the words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and I think we're called not just to press on despite our own personal difficulties and struggles, uh, even though they are significant during this time. But I think part of pressing on involves that commitment to talk to friends and family about Jesus and not out of obligation or fear, but because we love them. And even if it's a little awkward, uh, even if it means they may think of us a little differently, um, I just want to encourage you and myself, honestly, to really do that during this time because people are asking questions. They're fearful. Uh, they're anxious. They're uncertain about the future. And they may be thinking about those big questions about God and about where they will spend eternity. Uh, and they are more receptive. So thank you all for joining us. If you like this conversation, please head over to Apple or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and uh, leave a review or a rating that really does help other people discover the podcast. Uh, and hang in there, stay safe, stay faithful. And until next time, keep reading. Mm -hmm.